is actually doing what I would call spiritual entitlement, which is something that as Americans we know a lot about, which means that by nature of being human, I deserve all of God's blessings. Heaven is mine because I was born and I'm educated and I have a Facebook account. And so I deserve to be in glorious eternity with God forever. We have this idea that if our intentions are good, then we can never do anything wrong. But the reality is is that good intentions never purify a wrong deed. If you're conscious of your actions, then you've probably noticed that there are certain tendencies or choices that you constantly battle. For Abraham, fear has a very specific way of creeping up on him, and he repeats the same mistakes. Today, Pastor Daniel will help us to deal with those struggles and overcome them in Christ. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 20, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, Isaac. It says, And Abraham journeyed from there, which is by the terebinth trees of Mamre, to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed at Gerar, Now Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? Even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now, it's strange. This kind of comes out of nowhere, except if you remember Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember God called Abraham and then there was a famine in the land? And so Abraham decided, hey, I'm going to leave where I am. I'm going to go down to Egypt. But he was concerned because... Sarah, his wife, was a beautiful woman. And he said to her, listen, they're going to kill me to get to you. So say that you're my sister. And she consented to that. Now we get Abraham going to Gerar, which he's heading south, which is about 12 miles south of Gaza or about 50 miles from Hebron in the land of the Philistines. Now he gets near and he says to Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, you have to realize, and at this point, Sarah is 90. But Abram is still concerned about her beauty. So much so. And I hate to say, and I don't want to be crass or coarse, but I really think that Genesis 20 is the origins of the cougar. I mean, it's true. She's 90. Abraham's nervous. And he says, she's my sister. And Abimelech is like, she's going to come into my concubine. And so, I mean, I make a joke. But the reality is, is you notice that Abraham's sin 
He's got the same issue that he had in Genesis 12. And and I want to make a point by this because for most of us, the things that are besetting us in our walks with God, for most of us, it's the same sin as yesterday or as last year or as 10 years ago. And I don't say that as as a way to beat up on anybody. The reality is, is for all of us, we all have leanings or certain areas of the flesh that are just struggles to us. That it's not something brand new from out of nowhere. I never thought that that was in my heart. For most of us, if we're even remotely self-reflective, you'll realize that the struggles that we have today, the same areas of temptation were there two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, depending on how long you've been walking with the Lord. For Abraham, he just struggles when he goes into a territory where there's a strong monarch. He just knows that his wife is beautiful and he's scared for his life. Even though God has trusted, has been trustworthy in all these areas of his life, yet still Abraham just struggles here. And I think for each one of us, we really want to take notice of the struggles that beset us. The things that are just part of our lives for whatever reason. You know, and we talk about this a lot here because the idea of sin is so just biblical, isn't it? It's all through the Bible. See, everybody, all of us from Adam and Eve have inherited a disposition Towards sin. What that means is that all of us, every single person since Adam and Eve ate in the tree, ate in the garden of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we've all inherited a leaning towards rebellion, a disposition towards rebellion. And that disposition, that way of being, plays itself out in specific sins committed in unique ways. One of the things that's encouraging about This reality is that all of us are in the same boat together all the time. It's just a matter of which way does this disposition play itself out. So we all are in this together. We all come to Jesus in need of his power to break us of this disposition. But because we have this disposition and the power has been broken in Jesus, the reality is that our areas of temptation normally will remain consistent through all of our lives. So like if you're the kind of person who if you see alcohol, you're going to just partake to excess, for most people, that is never going to change. It might, you might get more used to resisting that temptation But that temptation towards excess in that area is always going to be there. And it's not that God doesn't heal. It's just our, the ways our dispositions are formed, for whatever reason, all of us have different weak spots. And the key is, is to not look down on somebody for their weak spot because your weak spot seems more acceptable by our culture. Like covetousness, is a cultural idol in America. Materialism is. But as we talked about last week, sexual sins seem to be worse. And the reality is, is all dispositions towards sin are 
in need of salvation. They are an affront to God. They induce God's just wrath. All of them do. Now, they do have different levels of severity as they play on out in our world. But they all are needy of God's grace. And so Abraham, it's interesting, the same sin as Genesis 12 is now playing itself out again in Genesis 20. He's just worried that God will not keep him and his spouse safe as they travel to foreign lands. So he, of course, as is his custom, says, she's my sister. And Abimelech says, I want Sarah to be mine. Now, it's interesting. The name Abimelech, it's two Hebrew words slammed together. It's Avi or Abi, which is father, and Melech is king. So it's the father of the king. And this name, Abimelech, is most likely in that area of the Philistines, the same title as Pharaoh was to the Egyptians, as Caesar was to the Romans, as president is to us in America. The ruler of this land gets the title Abimelech. And that's why we see it over and over again in the scriptures. So Abimelech simply says, I want Sarah to be mine. Now, it's interesting that in verse 3, God comes to Abimelech in a dream by night. And the reality is, is that God can speak to us in a myriad of ways. We know that in former times, according to the book of Hebrews, he spoke to us through prophets. Now he speaks to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But because of Jesus, we still believe that God can speak in a myriad of ways. Through dreams, through vision, through people. We have the added benefit of being able to line up all of these things and weigh them against the word of God. So we know, according to the Bible, that when the Spirit comes, people will have visions, they will dream dreams. It's all there. But the difference is, is we don't just believe every vision and dream or prophetic word we hear. We weigh them against Scripture. And that's why God has given us his heart in a book, so that we would take these things and we'd weigh them against Scripture. And if we weigh these things against Scripture, then visions and dreams have proper place in our hearts. For most of us, though, if we're honest, the Word says one thing, and then we hear a prophetic word from somebody, and we just want to grab hold of that and run with it. People always say to me, well, Pastor Daniel, what do you do with prophetic words? And I've heard lots of them in my time in ministry. I always say the same thing. I file them in the, well, we'll know if it's God when it comes to pass. We'll know that it's God if it comes to pass. But for so many of us, there are more glorious and sure promises in the word of God than there are that comes through the mouth of people. But we have a tendency to dismiss the promises in the word and grab hold of the promises of a seeming prophet. So what I'm trying to say here is this. We want to be open to all that the Spirit has for us. But we always want to wait against the inerrant, inspired Word of God. This pagan king gets a dream from God. Notice what he says. Can you imagine this dream? Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Wow, you're a dead man. Why? Of course, 
the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we really realize and believe that? That the wages of sin is death? See, that's what's at stake in the way that we live our lives. It's life and death is at stake. Every moment. I heard an analogy one time. You know what it's like when, you, when you've lived in the same place for a while and the lights are out? You walk into that house and you're not very subtle about it, right? You just, you just kind of know where everything is. And if you have little kids, you're a little bit more on guard because sometimes there's things that aren't supposed to be there. But the reality is, is that when you know something and it's very common to you, you just kind of roll through it. You don't think too much about it. But if you were walking through a, an area that you knew were laden with landmines, you'd walk differently, wouldn't you? You'd be very cautious. You'd look around and you'd be like, is that it? Is that it? You walk very circumspectly. And the reality for us is that we have freedom in Christ, but we need to walk carefully through this world. We need to be mindful, thoughtful. We need to be intentional about our lives. Because the wages of sin is death. Nobody ever ended up in a mess saying, I just want to make a mess of my life right now. Nobody just wakes up and says, I want to mail in my life. I want to ruin it. It always begins with a soft choice. Soft choice here. Soft choice there. A little messing around here. A little messing around there. And then before you know it, the wheels are coming off on a life. So we want to remember this. This man Abimelech is in trouble because he's taken another man's wife. And it's interesting that Abimelech's response to the Lord, first we find out that he didn't come near her. Now again, in context of the greater story here, when Sarah ends up in Abimelech's house, again, the promise of an offspring is called into question. We have a problem now. Because God had promised that Abraham would have a son of promise through his wife, Sarah. So at this point, Abimelech had not had any relations with her. And he says, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Same question that Abraham had. Lord, will you kill the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah with the wicked? Notice what he says in verse 5. Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she even her, herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in innocence of my hands... I have done this. It's interesting that Abimelech saying, Lord, I didn't know. I was deceived. Now, what's interesting is that Abimelech is expressing a very common sentiment, but it's still a wrong sentiment. He's saying, if my intentions were good, then I am automatically blameless. See, Abimelech is actually doing what I would call spiritual entitlement, which is something that as Americans we know a lot about, which means that by nature of being human, I deserve all of God's blessings. Heaven is mine because I was born and I'm educated and I have a Facebook account. And so I deserve to be in glorious eternity with God forever. We have this idea that if our intentions are good, then we can never do anything wrong. But the reality is, is that good intentions 
never purify a wrong deed. Good intentions never purify a wrong deed. So look at what happens in verse 6. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. God desires restoration. God knows our hearts. And God said, look, I know that you didn't know, and I also withheld you from touching her. I kept you from her. Now, I read that, I'm like, I wonder how God did that. And there's all sorts of theories that float around that I won't bore you with, but it's kind of a fascinating thing. But notice, even though Abimelech didn't know, even though he didn't touch her, God has a plan still. Restore the man's wife, For he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. Ah, do you see this? Forgiveness for Abimelech's transgression comes through the hands of a mediator. He's saying, look, I want you to change your action. That is textbook repentance. Making a new decision. Making a new action. You took her to be yours. Now I want you to restore her back to her husband's. And he's a prophet, and he's going to pray for you, and you're going to live. This is a picture again. Like in with Sodom before the Lord, Abraham is functioning as a mediator, just like Jesus, making intercession now. And it's interesting, in this case, the intercession is coming from the person who actually wronged Abimelech. But we have to realize that Part of God's plan for the people of God is that we function in a mediatorial fashion with the world, as Jesus did. One of the, when you read the word church in the Gospels, you find it in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, only two times Jesus used that Greek word ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. Now think about this. Every time Jesus says something to the effect of whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And people struggle with that. When was the last time you heard a church talk like that? Almost never, unless you've been involved in a cult. Because cults use this concept of the mediatorial function of the people of God in the world to say, well, listen, if I bind you to Jesus as the pastor or the cult leader, then then you are good. And if I excommunicate you, you are bad. And the church has used it as a way to control people. And what's unfortunate is because it's functioned that way historically, we almost never hear about it. But every time... Jesus uses the word church. He uses the same phrase. Whatever we bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. And what that teaches us is like Abraham, like Jesus, we are meant to be the body of Christ and function mediatorially in the world. Now, Jesus died on the cross and rose again. But our job is to be ambassadors of that message, to walk in the light as he is in the light, to help people understand what God expects, who God is, what God values. And when you think about that, that is not an opportunity for 
privileged judgment to, to arbitrarily say this and that is what's important to God, but it's a weighty responsibility for us, isn't it? When you think about the ambassador to the United States as he sits in the United Nations, that man or woman's job is to speak for the entire nation. And they better do a good job, right? And you and I, as the children of God, because of our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we have to make sure that we are functioning as mediators for people who are outside Jesus to the truth of who God is and what he values. And it really, that should really cause us to say, Holy Spirit, what is my life looking like? What is the fragrance of my life? Do I show forth your love? Do I let people know realistically that no matter what they've done, if they put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that they will be forgiven? Or do I put forth some sort of, some version of God that is really just me? I think it was Nietzsche who said, God created us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. We want us and our values to be God and God's values. We want to conform God into our image when we should be letting him conform us into him is his image. But I love this. God says, look, Abraham's a prophet. He's going to pray for you and you are going to live. But notice, if you don't restore her, this is the middle of verse seven, know that you will surely die and all that are yours. Wow. I mean, God shoots it straight for Abimelech, doesn't he? He's like, look, either amend your ways and you will live. Don't and you will die. And everyone around you will die too. That's some strong counsel from a loving God. In verse 8, Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you? That you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view? that you have done this thing. And Abraham said, because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever you go, say of me, he is my brother. You got to love Abimelech. Simple and immediate obedience. He rose up early. He called all of his servants, all the people of his kingdom, said, look, this is what's going on. Everybody was afraid. Then he calls Abraham and he confronts him. How have I offended you, he says. Jesus is... When Abraham went into a new land, he was nervous. Like before, he feared the beauty of his wife, that he might be killed so that the reigning king could have Sarah. 
Pastor Daniel asked us to consider our own intentions and sense of entitlement, neither of which purify a wrong thing. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. As Pastor Daniel continues through Genesis and the story of Abraham and Abimelech, we'll find that how we perceive things can be a total deception. We often don't approach people, don't spread the seed of the gospel, because we think someone's a lost cause. God knows what he's doing, and as we hear this story unfold, it will be clear why we should trust his plans. Join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 